0: From the offices of Melman, Castagnetti, Rosen, and Thomas.
1: Just footsteps from the White House, the heart of the nation's capital. This is 14th and G, the podcast sitting at the intersection of business and policy. Here's your host, C.R. Wooters.
2: Welcome to 14th and G, the podcast sitting at the intersection of business and policy. This week, we got our buddies David Castagnetti and Bruce Melman back. Talking the politics of the president, talking po- politics of Democratic presidential elections, and we'll take a look at the future. Okay, here's our pals, David Castignetti and Bruce Melman. Bruce and David, welcome back to Fourteenth and G. Thanks, Thank C.R. Sir. All right, so uh, we're notionally here to talk about our. Uh, deck that just came out, um, but I got to hit on some hot topics first. So uh, this week, as we're recording this, everything in the news is about Trump's tweets and <laughs> racism, and um, you know, there's a vote on the House floor last night condemning the president. Um, where are we with that? And and kind of what's that say about the planet?
1: Uh, where are we? That is a great question, Cr. It, you know, it is getting crazy, right? I mean, it is completely. A racist tweet and to Mrs. Pelosi's credit she's standing up for members of her caucus and to do what's right here and having that vote on the floor yesterday was really a big deal and it, you know it, it is just a really bad thing
0: that's going on it's it's awful well look not to defend the indefensible
2: uh, and that, my point is not to make you defend mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. that right. no worries <laughs> although look I,
0: I uh, it's not something I think should have been said that I uh, that I would have said Uh, For me, the question was, and I get there's clearly a base rallying strategy. That's Mm -hmm. what the the campaign's going to do. It's kind of what it did in 2016. The one thing I don't get is the timing. I mean, the weekend from Peggy Noonan to Maureen Dowd was all about... Dems shooting Dems. You had the so-called squad, the very left wing of the left wing, attacking Nancy Pelosi, implying Mm -hmm. she's racist. And then they defended by saying she's not racist, she's probably just too old to appreciate it. That's the Dems shooting the Dems. Politics 101 is stay out of the way and let them go after each other. So why the president? decided to make it about him and to allow the damn civil war to take a a pause is inconceivable to me it's kind of what brit hume said too i will say it's discouraging on many levels but
2: mostly just as like a human being like what are we doing here where are we all right i'm gonna i'm gonna there's no segue out of that, so we're just going to wander out of it. Another big story from this week is a uh, political money race. Um, uh, Dems, uh, in particular, had to report their first their, their, their last quarter's uh, er, uh, raised, I guess it's the second quarter. There was a lot of winners and losers. Um Um, What's your take on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly in terms of the winners on the Democratic side, certainly uh, Vice President Biden had a pretty good take. Uh, Elizabeth Warren had a great take. Kamala Harris had a a great take. Mayor Pete had a great take. Interesting thing. The other numbers for kind of some of the lower mid-tier candidates were really difficult, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out over the next few weeks and to see as we get post the debate, the uh, the D- Detroit debate, and we start to look at September, the qualifications really change and it'll start to to weed out, I think, some of the field. But there were some really big winners um last week
2: it, it feels like on staying on the democrats for a second it feels like the top five biden bernie kamala warren yep. and pete are kind of locked in for right now and we'll see what happens going forward but it feels like that's there's a clear first tier and yep. then and everybody else tier
1: and then the one thing that that has been unwritten is also mr sanders's uh, cash on hand mm-hmm. when you look at his cash on hand compared to his competitors he's in pretty good shape in terms of resources he didn't have as great a Quarter as the others did,
0: but he has the resources in hand, so he's certainly going to be around for a while. And it's fun to see the fundraising juggernaut powerhouse that is the socialist in the race. <laughs> <laughs> he's got an interesting
2: thing: he has this group of folks that just give to him every month, no yep. matter what. You know, to pay
0: their taxes and 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 give money to
2: Bernie well, Sanders. And to be fair to
0: him, he was the power of small donors even before mm-hmm. Act Blue made yeah. it so much more accessible to so many Democrats. Yep.
1: You know, which as, as I recall, they captured what Howard Dean talked about a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, exactly. Kind of interesting, too, guys from Vermont. But.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my big takeaway before we move to the Republicans, which they obviously have to raise money as well, is I'm interested to see a couple things. One is there are some folks who are going to qualify for the September debate and be out of cash by the time they get there. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens in, in Detroit and what happens when we get there. The other thing I think is interesting is is this Mayor Pete $25 million just a blip? And did he did he take full advantage of his moment? And did he you know, or and is he going to start to fade? Or is this real? Uh, I think the fact that you have a, you know, a 30 something year old mayor from, you know, Indiana, the mayor of, you know, University of Notre Dame, raising 25 million yeah. bucks in a quarter seems crazy, crazy to me. But, you know, we'll see.
1: Just in terms of crazy on that, Mayor Pete raised more money than Elizabeth Warren in Massachusetts wow. uh, this quarter.
0: Well, look, I, I'm not actually all that surprised by it. Mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, he's the youngest guy in the race. The, sure. It's a party in, in search of youth, given how old so many of their folks are, number two, one. Uh, number two, he's the only guy who's not a Washington politician, as best I can tell. It's not yeah. fair to Hickenlooper, but he's still in, I think. Mm-hmm. Um Number three, the LGBT community across America is, is enthusiastic sure. to have mm-hmm. a, a, a smart military veteran, Rhodes Scholar, uh, successful politician candidate. Uh, and and uh, as with the, the Jewish American community taking pride in Joe Lieberman, yep. you know, he's a heck of a great representative. And I think there is a lot of support from all around the country. Uh, coming for a uh, for a pathbreaker there.
2: I think his only problem is going to be to be sitting at a debate next to um, you know Bill de Blasio and uh, a couple other tall guys. He's too short. <laughs> I, I, needless to say, I, I uh, violently objected.
0: I think the whole premise is uh, out of order. So
2: you took a look at also the president raised a bunch of money. Obviously, reported a bunch of money. The RNC raised a bunch of money. What's that? What's that looking like now?
0: Well, you know, sitting presidents tend to raise money, and mm-hmm. Republicans tend to be good at raising money, and so you combine that together, and they've had uh, a strong start. For me, money will get really interesting after the primary. Mm-hmm. Because what we know is that, sure, a lot of these Dems are raising a lot of money. But even if it's just the big five, the Dems are about to all spend the money dumping bombs on one another. That's mm-hmm. what happens in primaries. And because they're all so certain that this is the best year to be a Dem nominee, you've got, what is it, 300, 500 nominees who are running. Yep. They're gonna spend all their money against one another. The DNC is kind of dysfunctional, so I think i take them off the map. Looking at prior elections, what you find is post-primary, the sitting president has been sitting on a lot of money or spending it very strategically and the the uh, those in the party that have a contested primary have been spending it uh, not with the general election in mind but rather with the primary in mind so yep. if you're a dem you're going to spend a lot of money in california that's a big deal for the primary it's a ton of votes but it's not like that's in the electoral college play sure
1: i think the one interesting thing too with the president is you're starting to see a lot of institutional republican money go into him right mm-hmm. there's a lot of washington dc money yep. a lot of new york money that's Moving towards the president uh, that you would expect out of the Republican Party.
2: I'm going to uh, disagree with Bruce just a little. I do think everybody spends all their money on the primary because you got to win the race in front of you. I think the president starts spending general election money before there's a nominee. But I think um, the and as we've seen from your research, it, I think that people are through the ceiling and I think money's going to fall from the sky for whoever the Democratic nominee is. They're going to raise. Millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars in minutes.
0: Yeah, I'm not. I don't think we disagree with one another. Cr. Mm-hmm. My, my observation is uh, that, as with John Kerry, although he was, it was a public infusion of public money. I think the Dem. Until the Dem is known, they will be spending most of their money, and they will be spending it with the primary contours in mind. For sure, for sure. The president will be uh, stockpiling more of his money, and to the extent he's spending it, he's spending it on things that are aimed at the battleground states in the general election. So I see a huge early money advantage for the uh, president. Yep. But— I I tend to think you're right. I think once the Dem nominee is resolved, the the amount of money is going to be insane that starts coming in.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think if some of these folks are raising, you know, $10 million in 24 hours, it's going to be a I mean, it's going to be a crazy number. Um, You mentioned um, just a couple things from the deck. Um, You mentioned um, I was interested in your view of the time in Washington just because Biden's number sticks out so much. What's your what's your kind of point and thoughts on that?
0: Well, so we actually first looked at this when it was Hillary Clinton who had spent 20 years in Washington and wondered, boy, you know, voters keep voting for change. Mm -hmm. Washington politicians aren't change. And what we found, which we put in this report, was that if you take a look at candidates with more years in Washington from 1936 through 1972 in the 10 presidential elections— The candidate with more or at least tied for the most years in Washington won nine out of 10. It's probably why if you want surgery, you want a surgeon who's done a lot of the operations before. If you want a pilot, thousands of hours in the cockpit are are generally seen as a positive. Voters before and through 1972 like the idea that you've been there, you've been in Washington, you know how it works. Then there's Vietnam, then there's Watergate, then there's stagflation. And in the 11 presidential elections since those uh, those times, the candidate with more years in Washington lost nine out of 11. Voters want somebody who's an outsider. And when we apply that to the current Democratic field, what you find is only Senator Harris has as few years in Washington as Trump. Uh, uh, Mister Cass- Secretary Castro and-, and Mayor Pete have even fewer. Joe Biden, 44 years as a Washington politician. If I said to you in the 20... 20- 20 elections in America that's very concerned about the future, that has voted for change eight out of the last 10 federal elections, that a candidate with the historic most years in Washington ever in American history, who, by the way, is also a 75-plus-year-old white male, uh, is going to be the change people believe in? uh, You wouldn't have believed it.
2: Right. No, I think that's right. It's interesting to me also the folks who have been in washington so let's say senator harris she's seriously been in washington does she run as senator harris does she run as prosecutor harris does she run as california person harris you know what i mean it's also i think there's a perception thing there too that some of these folks who can't perceive um biden any differently but you can potentially perceive uh, you know like booker's trying to run as mayor of newark if that makes Mm -hmm. sense uh, and
1: I think Elizabeth Warren's kind of running as a populist figure and a yep. protector of consumers. Certainly Bernie Sanders is trying to carve his niche away from Washington as well. But I think on the analysis that was done, the the, the interesting thing is it really that kind of bodes well for Mayor Pete, actually, in many ways. Sure. It's like it's a fresh
0: face. It's a new face. It's a new generation of leader. Although, casto you're exactly right. that. But that assumes Mayor Pete wins a primary that he doesn't seem— certain to win, um, you and I have talked and you've spoken a lot about the, the, um, the, the idea of in the Dem primaries, who the Dems go for when there's an establishment candidate um, like a Biden versus a disruptor like a, uh, like a Mayor Pete.
1: Right. No, that's exactly right. I mean, I think the, the big thing to me is when you look at people like Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, 1992, Jimmy Carter, they were the anti-establishment candidates uh, and in comparison to Mrs. Clinton and John Kerry and George uh, and uh, Walter Mondale, those folks were the establishment Democrats. Al Gore, too. I have to throw in Gore there for you. See, mm-hmm. thank you. They were the establishment candidates that that the Democrats thought they wanted, and the Democrats went with the outsider and they won. And that's that's really what gives me a lot of hope about this race. Is I think there are a lot of fresh faces there, and the Democrats will rally around that person as he he or she is nominated and with the the president and what he's done right back to the beginning of where you started this, CR, that it is pretty scary time and people really want to uh, unite against the president uh, as well.
2: So, uh, you know, I've, I've obviously listened to the debates they're coming up. Detroit's coming up next. Um, wh- how do we get um, you know, functioning Washington on a couple of big issues, right? So immigration is the biggest one, right? The, the president is at best, um, in the best light possible, is, is, is enforcing laws and trying to deter illegal immigration to a level that people haven't seen before. And Democrats are saying things like, we'd like to give health care to undocumented um, folks who get, come here illegally. How do you bridge that divide? It's probably not bridged in the next 10 minutes, but let's say there's a new administration or a second Trump administration uh, term. Right. How, what happens there? How does that come together? Because it feels like yeah. it couldn't be any further yeah. apart.
1: Well, and I think it goes back to kind of to me it feels like we go back to the beginning of who our country is and we look at the Statue of Liberty in uh, in New York, right? And we we start from there. It's like we have the ability, the resources and the need to bring in Uh, people from other countries and that's the most important thing that continues our growth and remember according to the the census the United States census by 2040 we will become a majority minority country right so the face of our country is changing and our responsibilities are changing I think the the way you start to bring it together is you help people grow their families allow them to economically grow as well Obviously, there has to be a process in order to allow people mm-hmm. to come in the country. You don't want just free and open borders either, but at the same time, you have to have uh, talented folks coming in and the resources necessary to grow our economy and to help uh, w- shape our workforce.
0: Yeah, look, I agree with you, David, on the uh, on the uh, merits of immigration, hell, we're all immigrants, the importance of immigration to the country.
2: Please go back um, to where you came from, thank you. <laughs> Baltimore?
0: <laughs> yeah. um, but there's a real crisis on the border. Yeah. you know. And the Dems early on suggesting it was a manufactured crisis. That's mm-hmm. just not accurate. The crisis is the result of Uh, extreme violence in in countries south particularly south of mexico Mm -hmm. uh, and extreme poverty and the falling price of all of our uh, coffee beans though starbucks doesn't pass that price on (laughs) Uh, but as a result a lot of folks see no hope for future just like they're leaving syria for violence they're Mm -hmm. leaving these countries you know and some of the dems have talked about a uh, almost a marshall plan dealing with some of those nations in my mind if the dems um A, don't deny the seriousness of the crisis. B, don't suggest it's all because of Donald Trump. Uh, And C, don't uh, avoid doing what you just avoided, David, which is avoid suggesting the problem is that there are any rules. You know, the United States, I think a majority of Americans believe in immigration, but believe there need to be rules sure. and that those who come following the rules belong. Mm-hmm. Those who get in line are the folks who should be admitted. Um, we all want to be a gracious nation and have an asylum process as well, which is a separate, uh, faster track line for merit. but. Uh, when when uh, the volume is at where it's at, you know, the problem with some of those detention centers is not simply the apparent cruelty of, of, of agents. There's lack of resources. Mm-hmm. Congress hasn't given the resources you need to have uh, accommodated the volumes of folks who are there. It's a genuine, honest-to-God crisis. It would be helpful if the president didn't uh, tweet or otherwise turn it into a uh, you know, almost a, a poll based upon what you think of people who are different from you. Yeah. But the substance of the crisis is real. Well, I think that that's the
1: point, though, Bruce, is that the president makes this an us against them question instead of an embracing question mm-hmm. of how do we work the process as well. It it fuels the anger on both sides, and that's you know that's not right and not fair. At the same time,
2: you mentioned. Uh, uh, I think this is all ends up being political as well because you mentioned a thing before that we're going to be at some point in time, be a, in the not too distant future, we're going to be a minority-majority uh, country, and I think the president's just trying to hang on to the, to win that before it, yeah. before it switches. Um, Bruce, let's take a turn to the economy. You did some. You took a look at um, you know basically what the economy looks like now and what's that mean going forward. Um, we obviously have a roaring economy now by matrix that. Uh, you know, we used to use or, or currently use. Uh, there is certainly. I will b- give you this caveat. Both the president and Democrats continue to talk about this universe of folks that are not being taken up by the roaring economy. So, what did you take a look? What did you take a look at? What you see?
0: You know, look. I think the election can be simplified when all is said and done with a huge caveat of let's see who the Dems pick. But it can be simplified to it's the economy versus turnout.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, the economy is Trump's ace in the hole. Uh, as a rule, strong economies get presidents reelected. Look, as a rule, presidents get reelected. Sure. And when you go and you say, well, who hasn't been able to get a second term? It's every single time people who had a recession in those two years prior to their reelection. Everybody who has avoided a recession in the two years prior to their reelection got reelected. Mm-hmm. Now Trump sets new rules in a lot of ways, and so maybe everything we thought we knew about politics is off. But it seems to me, from uh, the stock market to the unemployment lowest in fifty years to consecutive uh, longest economic expansion in history, wage growth, including wage growth at the bottom, uh, most folks I believe feel like things are working. Feel generally comfortable. If the Dems run a very left candidate who suggests we've got to totally tear up the economy and start over, I think that will cause a lot of the middle to say, well, we feel like we're doing well, not so much that we can afford to take a gamble, but we're doing well in what is otherwise a precarious world. Mm-hmm. But as David's about to talk about, turnouts, the flip side of it all. I
1: think it, it, it's turnout. It, it, to me, I think there's a couple of things to p- pick up on Bruce's points. One is I believe anyone but Bernie Sanders can beat Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. I'm very clear on that, and if you've noticed, over the last few weeks, even Wall Street has said folks like Elizabeth Warren are potentially acceptable to them, so you're seeing a My change. boy Andrew Yang? Can, can, <laughs> my, can the king of PowerPoint do it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's talk about the top five. All How's that? Right, you, you said anybody. Anybody but Bernie. Um, the, the, the other thing I think to, to, to pay attention to and the, the piece, I think, on the economy, I agree with Bruce. Historically, the economy has been the driving factor. I still believe at the end of the day, white suburban women, college educated women who voted for Donald Trump last time, especially in some of the Rust Belt states, uh, now see their financial situation better but CR, to go right where you started from this conversation today, it's back to the what this president is saying every day and forcing racist comments out that those mothers wanna also protect their children. Let me ask you about at that, Cass, though.
0: So, so here's why I, I wonder about that. You're suggesting that these are suburban moms who didn't care about Access Hollywood in 2016, uh, but now do care about The the tweets and the other things, which are, in my mind, uh, of a sort.
1: Yeah, correct. Because you know why, Bruce? It's the consistency of it. Every day there is something that I don't want my children to hear. The the Access Hollywood thing is a one-time event. That took place. People didn't really know who Donald Trump was. They actually believed he was going to work with Democrats. Democrats believed Donald Trump was going to work with Democrats, and it's never happened. And I oh, I think the constant noise and the 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 fright that some of the children have is an important piece, especially okay. to I'm moms.
0: I'm not sure. I agree entirely because I think one of the one of the interesting statistic things, and I know we've talked about this, is. No president in modern history has seen so little movement in their uh, approval or disapproval. It's been the narrowest trading band of anybody, and I think part of that is because everybody had their opinion of who Donald Trump was before he came, and for the most part, as we've talked about, the world has divided into the signal and the noise people. The signal people say, we like the judges, we like the tax cuts, yeah, all that stuff's offensive, that's just who we picked, but you needed a wrecking ball to change Washington. The noise people, again and again, are are consistently offended by what he says, how he says it, who he is. I feel like most of those folks didn't vote for him in 16. I don't think there is a big group of folks who are disappointed. I think people are right where they were.
1: Right, but it goes back to what you said uh, as you transitioned over. Is it, It's also about uh, voter turnout, right? And Democrats are incredibly motivated to take on this election, right? As you start to look at potentially how high the turnout will be, which will be kind of 74, 75% is kind of what people think it could be as high as, that, that's a whole different dynamic. And when you start to look at some of the house races, that took place. You look at uh, Lauren Underwood in Illinois, or or a Spamberger in Virginia, which is probably a more in place state. Those folks won districts that are plus five, R plus six districts. You're seeing people turning out, and again, the demographics of these districts are changing
0: and changing drastically. Well, let me ask you about this. And, Cr, you're, you're a, as a campaigns guy, you may appreciate this. I wonder if Trump doesn't have this kind of an inverse obama thing whereas obama was one of the great politicians and when he was on the ballot he benefited from things and he couldn't hand the pixie dust over to Mm -hmm. uh, other democrats in 2010 in 2014 it was trump is about trump and you it's just there aren't voters don't reward you for being either his friend or his enemy the republican voters have seemingly punished Jeff Flake and others for being sure. his enemy. It seemed like that was an Obama thing too. Yeah, it does. I'm more. I'm interested to see as we get more votes like this
2: in the House. You saw yesterday the the the, the House um, condemnation of the president's um, racist comments. There were four Republicans and one former Republican who is now an independent who voted against him. They have started to make a calculation that either we just can't deal with this anymore, or B, um, people w- that we represent expect us to. You know, disagree with him when there are things to be disagreeable. It'll be interesting to see that crowd because I think that's like a, a little bit of a, a of a canary in the coal mine to, to say like, are, is there a place where Republicans can be different than Trump, or are they all have to be Trump? And if they have to be Trump, that's not going to yeah. be great for somebody like Cory Gardner in the
1: Senate. I, 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 but I, but I think, to me, as I look at races, it's all about increasing your base turnout yeah. now, right? The middle is just not as important. Technology has allowed us to identify mm-hmm. where you're going to lean, whether you're leaning more Democrat yeah. or Republican. So it's expanding that base, and both sides are kind of doubling down a little bit, yeah, aren't It's it? not it's even new, There's though, politics.
0: right? I mean, Bill Clinton, mm-hmm. take a look at the Monica Lewinsky episode, and, and what all of my Democratic friends said then is, yes, it's wrong. Yes, it's terrible. No, we don't condone it. But and then it was your team great. and, you, you know, you, oh. peace and prosperity and sure. New Dam and all those kind of things. You know, it's it's uh, it certainly feels I, – I w- I'm glad I'm not an elected official. I wouldn't want to be there because I wouldn't want to defend it. Um, but it feels like almost the, the race version of what back then was, you know, Moral. not a me too. Right. Uh, yeah. Now is considered an overwhelming – of course a CEO would have to resign if they did what the president did in the Oval sure. Office – but, you know, that was 20 years ago, I guess, so it was different rules.
2: Yeah, I also just think, I, I do think that this does play to, to two things. I think the Democrats pushing for some version of gerrymandering changes, I think, is a is a reasonable thing. And the Electoral College, which I don't know that you blow it up or how you deal with it, but, but there's a lot more people have self-selected. So um, I do think over time, one of the things that has to happen is you have to figure out how to weigh – the the where folks live. So people are going to drive out base turnout significantly higher. But right now, people in New York City, and there are a lot of Democrats that live there, their votes don't really count that much, right? Um, they certainly don't count in the same way that somebody from Montana or, or Ohio or Florida or wherever else. So I'm interested to see as we get going forward as this becomes, as we continue down the road of what is now third or fourth or fifth election that's just base turnout and has nothing to do with convincing anybody about anything, th- there's going to have to be some structural changes because you could, event- you, could, you could see a scenario where the president wins the electoral vote, gets reelected, and loses the popular vote by a pretty wide margin again.
1: Yeah, but uh, but on the other side of it, C.R., just to kind of play that out, there are potentially other new places where Democrats can play, right? Atlanta, Georgia, if you want to expand the Democratic base, Mm -hmm. that becomes really important. Phoenix, Arizona, Tucson, Mm -hmm. right? You're starting to see some different states that potentially the Democrats would play in. It's not necessarily a Rust Belt only strategy that the Democrats are going to have to play. And they're going to have to figure out how to move into new places to create some new dynamics that take place politically. If you're going to continue to expand the truly expand the
0: Democratic base, this well, is
2: this is the idea of taking Ohio off the map and taking those right. resources and putting them someplace else, right. which
0: I actually agree with. The Rust Belt to Sun Belt transition is what a lot of folks are seeing, yeah. but it's also CR. So electoral college changes is a constitutional amendment mm-hmm. requirement that's tough, but it's a little bit why we in in our in our, uh, in our uh, tongue-in-cheek named woke apocalypse scenario. I uh, think the Dems, next time they have the House, the Senate, and the White House, nuke the filibuster. you got to get rid of it. We're heading to a point where one-third of the country selects two-thirds of the senators. Sure. And so for the Democrats, as long as the filibuster, they're not going to get to 60 senators again, one presumes, uh, absent a, a mother of all waves, <laughs> which, in theory, 2022 gives you a <laughs> shot at, but that's still—I mean, you'd have to win some places that are just— inconceivable so let's take a uh, uh, two um quick
2: things you guys can take each one of these um both are topics of the day we've we've talked about them before usmca and uh debt limit um budget caps deal both have to happen um the president and and um uh, reports are that the speaker and the treasury secretary are having reasonable discussions about debt limit i, I personally i don't know nobody trusts anybody and people are screaming at each other about being racist. Uh, those are things that have to, you know, be passed by a Democratic House, be passed by a Republican Senate and signed into law by a Republican president. Like, how does any of those things happen? Yeah.
1: I, I always start out this this area see, by asking myself two questions. Can the president cut a deal with Mrs. Pelosi? Can Mrs. Pelosi cut a deal with the president? Right. There are two very different sets of politics, I mm-hmm. think, which you were allu- alluding to in the question. Um I, I think at the end of the day it, let's start out with USMCA only because that's a little bit easier I think at the end of the day the Democrats um, uh, whether you're uh, kind of Congresswoman DeLauro or Sherrod Brown or Congressman Neal who ultimately has to pass the bill out of his committee, they all have incredibly, a, a, a great deal of trust with Ambassador Lighthizer and what Ambassador Lighthizer is doing and trying to do and the way he's working with the Democratic Caucus. It's a real tribute to him. Um, At the end of the day, is Ambassador Lighthizer the person who is going to be able to cut the deal with the Democrats or not? We shall see, I think, over the next couple of weeks. By the way, you'll see the Democrats talking a lot more about the, 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 the drug uh, intellectual property issues that mm-hmm. are part of the deal. It fits very nicely with the Democratic theme in terms of drug pricing. So I, I think that's gonna change. We'll see if, the, if and the Ambassador can get there and we'll see if the President will allow the Ambassador to get there. It's a little bit the same way on the debt limit, right? As Mrs. Pelosi is talking to Secretary Mnuchin, at the end of the day, will Mnuchin, will the secretary have the ability to cut the deal that the president or Mr. Mulvaney will ultimately trump, no pun intended, will ultimately trump what deal it is that he cuts? I mean, clearly Mrs. Pelosi would like a a couple of years uh, also on some spending and Mm -hmm. domestic spending uh, dollar for dollar with uh, uh, military spending, and uh, uh, including a $22 million uh, bump up for the VA, separate from the dollar-for-dollar mm-hmm. dollar spending. So, so there'll be some interesting trade-offs here that take place. I think if it was left to Mrs. Pelosi and Secretary Mnuchin, they could cut a deal that the Democrats potentially could live with. Uh, on the other side of it is, is he the deal cutter
0: and the deal maker? Right. You know, I, I might challenge the premise of the question. I actually think there's more trust than you give Washington credit for. I think Pelosi and McConnell trust each other. They don't like each other. They don't agree with each other, but I think they both trust each other as being in control effectively of their chambers. uh, And if they're going to cut a deal with you, you can rely on them to follow through. Harry Reid and John Boehner did not trust each other. Reid didn't think Boehner had control of the Freedom Caucus, which was a not bad assessment. And Boehner didn't. And Boehner thought Reid was more political and therefore less reliable. Certainly, I think uh, the speaker and the leader trust each other more than either trusts the president, mm-hmm. as somebody with whom you can cut a deal that'll stick, as opposed to a deal that may get blown up by Fox News coverage and subsequent uh, second guessing. Um, some of that we've seen as we, we talked about on prior episodes of this uh, this podcast, which we re- recommend folks go listen to. <laughs> uh, the Congress in the first two years of, uh, of Donald Trump's presidency passed more laws than in the first two years of Barack Obama's, and he had 60 Democratic senators and the Democratic House. Yep. Um, most members of Congress want to get things done. None of them want a debt default. None of them want to shut the government down. Uh, an easy majority would like to have a budget caps deal and to move forward. And I frankly think there's a majority that would like to see USMCA passed. They're all just scared of the politics, but they all get the economics. None of them actually want to see... Uh, things go south there. I think
2: what to watch for is two things. One is I think the debt limit will be lifted, whether it has whether it's lifted separately from caps or whatever. The, the thing that I think that the president and everyone else can agree on is the debt limit is probably something got to take care of, including that. I think to watch for, as we record this on the 17th of, of July, is You know, does the House or Senate mess with their calendar at all? If they if they add a few more days before they go away from August, that probably means we're closer to a deal rather than further from a deal. Um, So in the in the immediate short term, I would keep an eye on that. It does sound like the the Speaker and the and the Secretary having good conversations. um, But you know, I mean, that was it feels like that was twenty four hours ago, which is like you know ten lifetimes ago. (laughs) All right, we're going to wrap up with this. I'm going to ask you guys to look in the future a little bit. Give me some predictions, and you can go pretty far out if you want. Um, uh, pick something that's a little off the wall, um, and I have one for you as well. Um, political prediction from you, Bruce. What's, what's coming down the road?
0: We tried to get into a little bit of scenario planning, and we went fairly far out. Um, it feels to me that if the president gets reelected, and right now if I had to bet, I, I think the uh, general enthusiasm for the economy plus the electoral college um, path is slightly more likely than the turnout tsunami which will happen but mm-hmm. the turnout tsunami also being exactly where the democrats needed it to be and therefore sure. enough so when the president gets reelected i think that leads uh, to a uh, to a 2022 challenge it's the sixth year. I think the economy's already had the longest run of all time. And while the growth's a little bit slower, recessions always come. Nobody's repealed the business cycle. If you're facing a sixth-year president who has never been over 50 percent in popularity, whose popularity has been based upon an economy that hits a recession, and then you take a look at the states uh, where the Republicans are defending in the Senate, I think the Dems Best chance to pick up the Senate in a long time is gonna be in a 22, 2022, provided Donald Trump's the president. Right.
1: I'd I pick up uh, on two things. One is first, I will, I will go way out on a limb and predict in 2020 Donald Trump will not be president. That's where I, I would start from. <laughs> but, but even I think a little bit to pick up um, on what the House may look like in 2022 as you start to get to redistricting and again, the reapportionment of our population with folks leaving the Rust Belt states, leaving New That's England true. and moving to other parts of the country and seeing that growth in suburban Dallas, suburban Atlanta, as places where Democrats can definitely pick yep. up seats as we start to look at what a new house map uh, looks like. Gerrymandering uh, may not be as bad a word in 2022 as it is uh, today. Sure.
2: All right, so here's my um, prediction. Um, there, will no, there will not be a male Democratic Speaker of the House for the foreseeable future. So after Mrs. Pelosi's done, whenever that's done, as long as Democrats hold the House, women run this party now, and women will run the House. That's my take.
1: Thanks. People for from Boston would like to hear that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming in, guys, and uh, always fun to chat. Thank Thanks, you.
0: Sarah.
2: As usual, always fun to have the, the bosses in here. Um, if you're looking for me, My email address is wooters at mc-dc.com. And until next time, we'll be sitting right here at 14th and G.